Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Just our lives. Fight with me. For all Middle Earth. You've lost majority. What are you? I am no god. At least not yet. You will be known at last for who you truly are. For you are Lord. And the Southlands are in grave danger. The Southlands are but the beginning. Those are some scenes from the season finale of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, based upon, well, how based upon the Tolkien trilogy and the canon that J.R. Tolkien put together of Middle-earth. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to review this TV series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Pastor Ted Geese. He has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's powered pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. So give us a review of our first review of the TV series Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Yeah, well, we started out just, I'd only seen the first four episodes, so that's all we could kind of talk about. And now the the first season is concluded, so all the episodes are now available on uh, Amazon Prime. So we kind of were just kind of talking about where things were going, some of the struggles behind, like, how do you deal with adapting uh, source material when there's not a lot to go on? And maybe we'll dig a little bit more into some of that stuff uh, today now, seeing how it all kind of panned out and just kind of impressions of the whole thing as we were getting going. So now we'll dig more into all of that now. You know, anybody who wants to listen to that first episode, you can just like probably type that in the search engine over at Issues Etc. and find it. And hopefully these two interviews go well together. So again, by way of review, what are we looking at here? Is this part of the official canon of this much beloved Tolkien work? Well, I mean, the official canon is the actual written material, right? So if you want to think of canon, it's that kind of, that would be the actual canon. So this is an adaptation of that canon material. And basically, you know, what they actually had rights to, and this is the kind of complicated part for some, you know, casual viewers, let's say. Tolkien wrote a lot of stuff, so much stuff that, you know, when he died, there was still stuff coming out posthumously afterwards. His son, Christopher Tolkien, um, did a lot of editing, pulling things together, 
making it so that it was available to people. And there's a bunch of that stuff that actually gets into the time period that this story is happening in that they don't have rights to, uh, like uh, Amazon doesn't. So for instance, um, there was a an interview early on with the showrunners and this uh, J.D. Payne, who's one of the showrunners, said that we have the right solely to the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, the Return of the King, the Appendices, and the Hobbit. And he says, and that's it. We do not have the rights to the Cimmerillion, Unfinished Tales, the History of Middle-Earth, or any of those other books, which would include like the Children of Huron and a bunch of other stuff, right? So they're working with part of it. So if you think about like, dear listener, if you've read The Lord of the Rings, as the characters go through the story, there's these moments where there are references to stuff that happened at an earlier age. So they're in the third age, and they will reference back to the second age or the first age. And this story is happening in the second age. So there'll be like little snippets here and there where they talk about that kind of stuff. So for instance, one of the little snippets would be in the second chapter of the shadow. Uh, it's called the shadow of the past. And in it, Gandalf is explaining things to Frodo. And he says, in a region long ago, many elven rings were made, magic rings, as you call them. And they were, of course, of various kinds, some more potent and some less. The lesser rings were only essays in the craft before it was fully grown. And to the elven smiths, they were but trifles, yet still, to my mind, dangerous for mortals. But the great rings, the rings of power, they were perilous. So like, there's a detail. There's a detail from the Lord of the Rings pointing back to this age. So now the writers have to sit down and take a detail like that or a little tiny snippet like that and expound from that into a whole story. As we talked about last time, they hope to have it be for five seasons. So this is the first of those five seasons. And that's the challenge. And some of the parts, like in the appendices, for instance, it reads like bits of the history portions of the Old Testament, and there's not a lot of detail in there, but sometimes the stuff that is there is pretty important. So, I mean, this is kind of where things are at. This is what they have the rights to. And that is a challenge to them. It presents a challenge to them in terms of how they're going to adapt this material. So now that you have watched enough of it, what are your thoughts on how the various races, for lack of a better word, the elves, the dwarves, men, are being depicted? This is a bit of a conundrum. Some are better than, than others. I think the one group that really falls flat are the elves. In Peter Jackson's material and in other renditions of this, and in Tolkien's work himself, like they come off m much more regal. Here they're kind of, I don't know, flat and sort of not very virtuous at times too, which is a problem all of its own. Or, or they're kind of dense and not really completely 100% with it. When it comes to like the dwarves, let's say, the dwarves are kind of done pretty well. In the appendices, uh, Appendix F from The Lord of the Rings, they're described as tough, secretive, uh, laborious, retentive of the memory of injury, lovers of stones and gems, and that there's this uh, enmity between them and the race of men. And this comes across, I think, that the, the whole idea of them being secretive and 
and not necessarily completely open with outsiders is something that they do a good job with in this. In fact, I like the story between of the character of Elrond and Durin is quite good. It's quite interesting. Like listen, I'm I'm not a I'm not a writer for a Hollywood show or anything like that. But just taking a look at what material is available to them to work from, I see things that, you know, seem like low-hanging fruit that could be really interesting that they don't bother to put in. So in this uh, Appendix A, they have a spot in there in The Lord of the Rings where they talk about Durin's folk. And Durin is the name of one of the the elves, and this is Durin the Fourth, I think, is the one that's in this show. And he's friends with Elrond. But there's this description of all of it where it talks about how, like, their very first kind of the guy that the lineage of these kings come from, his name is Durin also. And then he gets this nickname called Durin the Deathless because, you know, he lived a very long time. And then when he died, he had a child, another son that looked like him. And then the other son looks like him. And then the son after that looks like him. So then there's this kind of story that kind of, or myth that builds up around that line of dwarves and that nickname Durin the Deathless kind of follows them. And the idea that you could have this character in your show that knows that he was born and that he isn't Durin the Deathless, but the other people kind of think that, that could be kind of an interesting psychological element to weave into the show, which they don't. And again, like this is legitimate criticism on my part. It's not, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely having a critical eye on it and maybe looking at it more stridently than other reviewers might. But I think that there is an element to all of this. It's important. For instance, like just coming back again to the idea of the elves and how all of this sort of fits together. So one of the things that they do put into this, which they do a good job with is that they they show this kind of difference between the elves and the dwarves in terms of like the long-lived nature of the elves versus the dwarves and men. They're not all of the same constitution when it comes to the length of time that they live. And also, as a result, they kind of view time differently. So the character of Elrond and Durin are these friends, and they, they, there's this focus on their friendship. But when Elrond shows up, he's already been missed. Like he, the last time he came to see Durin was like 20 years earlier. So Durin's all put out of shape because he says to him, well, you, you missed my wedding, the birth of my children, two of them. You can't barge into my mountain and demand, I welcome you with open arms. You cannot claim that which you discarded. 20 years may be the blink of an eye to an elf, but I've lived an entire life in that time. They set it up. They know how this works within the story. They set that up and, you know, Elrond apologizes and, and that kind of, they start working on their friendship and it's very interesting in terms of the whole season. But then you have this other elf of Galadriel and she, they've established at the beginning of the show that she is close with Elrond. Elrond is a friend of hers. And this is one of these kinds of things when you read the appendices and the Lord of the Rings, which they have rights to. Elrond has a brother, Elros, and Elros is the the guy who founded Numenor. Numenor is this island city, like this island full of men, and it's this half-elf that founds Numenor, and she would know him the same way that she knows Elrond. Like, these guys are brothers. 
and for her, time is whipping past even as men are like being born and grow up and die, whatever. So she's there on this island and she wants to have them come to war with her, go back to the mainland and fight. And there, there's this growing disdain that has, you know, went to seed there between elves and men and they don't trust her. And she never once mentions, Hey, Elrond is my very good friend. His brother, that's the guy who started your whole entire kingdom. I knew him too. Like she never plays that card. Instead, she's very insolent and bossy, but it's a detail that you could go back to and they don't. So this is where, you know, somebody who carefully reads this stuff or knows this stuff sits there kind of scratching their head. And there's kind of actually a reason why you would end up scratching your head. But th this is like when I'm watching it, these are the things that are coming into my mind as I'm watching it. And maybe not into the minds of all viewers, but certainly into mine. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We are reviewing the TV series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. When we come back, do they forge any rings in these episodes? And does the villain, Sauron, make an appearance? What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled For Such a Time as This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter, the free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. This fall in creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org slash disaster. That's lcms.org slash disaster. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Gieschen. 
Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in a advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. We're reviewing the TV series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, with Pastor Ted Geese. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. So in the episode so far, Ted, do they forge any rings, and did Sauron make an appearance? Well, yes, and now this is kind of interesting. So I uh, I saw this coming a thousand miles away. They tried to, to, to do this kind of, well, who is it? Who might it be? Maybe it's this character over here. Like they're trying to do a sleight of hand. But it was very obvious to me very early on who that character of Sauron was, and in a, a recent article in Vulture, which is kind of an online blog that has the subtitle Devouring Subculture. Anyways, they had an exit interview with the uh, showrunners called The Long Road to Mordor, The Rings of Power. And they're talking about the identity of Sauron here and, and things like that. So this is a spoiler for those who don't want to know if they want to just kind of watch this. So they asked this question of the showrunners and this is um, Jackson McHenry is the name of the, the interviewer who asked the question. He said, Sauron in the books comes to the elves as Anatar, the Lord of Gifts. Hellbrand, this is the character who it turns out to be, is never referred to by that name. The one tell of his identity early in the episode is that Celebrimborn, who's this elf that makes objects, thanks him for his gifts. Did you decide having someone call him Anatar would be too obvious? So this is where Patrick McKay, one of the showrunners, says, we were concerned about a situation where the part of the audience steeped in lore is six or seven episodes ahead of the characters. If deception is an important part of the journey, we wanted to preserve that experience for book readers too. So what they did was they scrapped that whole idea of him coming as this disguising himself as this benevolent character who shows up and like graciously quote unquote helps them develop these rings and, you know, is involved in the whole process. They scrapped the name. They scrapped that kind of way of doing it because they wanted to preserve for the viewers who knew that material, a sense of surprise. This, I think, is extraordinarily misguided on the parts of the uh, showrunners and Amazon because all they actually did was infuriate people who wanted it to be, you know, faithful to the source material. Like, I already knew who it was going to be, this Hellbrand character. And this is a guy that 
the character of Galadriel early on. She's supposed to go off to the Undying Lands. She hops off the boat, ends up in the ocean. There's a little raft. There's a guy in the raft. That guy is Hellbrand. And that's Sauron under her nose, hidden away in plain sight. And they, they're with each other the whole way, kind of almost through the whole story. And it was so obvious as to who that was. In the end, they were just driving me and lots of other viewers crazy. Some viewers, I guess, won't mind. But this is one of those things that's not part of the quote-unquote canon, right? It's actually not part of the actual canon of what's written down. It's an invention of the showrunners and writers to try to preserve something that's in the canon. To me, I don't know about you, but that to me, that's that was a key misstep at the very beginning that just goes off in the wrong direction. Any other additional thoughts on the writing choices? Oh, yeah, sure. But, but I guess, first of all, like there are some rings. They do finally, in the very last episode, forge the first three rings, like the rings for the elves. That, that does actually happen. So again, sorry, spoiler. But uh, the rest of it doesn't happen like that. And frankly, the way that it's described, like in The Lord of the Rings, too, like the, in the Council of Elrond, they talk about the way that Sauron, you know, deceives them all and comes and like is part of their developing story, that that stuff just isn't there. So in terms of like additional thoughts in terms of the writing, I think that like, okay, so this whole idea of like holding back and then having a big reveal about who Sauron was at the end, Sauron the villain, you know, like I think that this is, they would have been better served. Like I knew who it was already. But I didn't know who it was based on something they told me. I knew who it was based on my own deduction of what's going on. So what they could have done and what I think might have been a better thing to do would be to employ something called dramatic irony, where you do actually let the audience in so the audience knows for sure, for sure, and it's not just something that they're personally thinking might be the case, but you let the audience in on who the character of Sauron is, for instance, in this case. But the rest of the characters don't know. The characters of the story don't know. The viewer knows. This is what dramatic irony is. But now, like everything that the character says, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe. And the actually, the actor who is playing Halbrand shot two entire episodes of this show and didn't know that he was Sauron. They only revealed to the actor when they were about after they took a hiatus for COVID, they revealed to the actor starting at the third episode that he in fact was Sauron. But prior to that, he didn't even know as an actor, this Charlie Vickers didn't know. So, you know, like I think they could have employed <laughs> dramatic irony. I think that would have been a good thing. Also one problem that the, the show has is this kind of, and then kind of style um, storytelling where you know, this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens, but it's all very much like predictable or it's it, the things that happen are they come across as like a contrivance. She goes into the ocean. She finds a, a raft. That raft is got the villain she's looking for on the raft. They run into a ship. That ship has the people that she needs they take her to the island where the army that she needs already is there. Gladril takes the army back to the mainland. It's like there's no hiccups in the road. There's no, like, it's all very, 
like s- safe in terms of like the storytelling and it's just it's also disinteresting like when you like you need to have things happen that are unexpected or things not go the right way or you know and and when you have such a blank canvas in terms of filling in the blanks or the details in between things you really kind of think you know like why not try some something interesting here and it it kind of comes across flat and i guess the other part is is that sometimes the like why did they need the rings there were certain elements of the story that weren't 100% clear enough all the way along and yet at the same time a lot of the they were doing a lot of the telling not showing in terms of the dialogue you know people would very plainly say things that come across as uh kind of ponderous and overall i think the whole like the way that the whole thing kind of comes across is not so much full of grandeur or gravitas it doesn't feel like myth and it doesn't have a, a sense of grounded history it comes across more as melodrama so if people like melodrama that's fine but for instance you know your your soap operas are are more melodramas even your kind of formula shows like like CSI and stuff like that they can kind of come across as more melodramatic in terms of the way they're presenting things and that's i would say that they should stay away from melodrama and they should try to develop the characters in ways that are make them kind of a little more interesting well that sounds to me like the opposite of the token source material we'll discuss the most interesting parts of the original next Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040 or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Logia Journal, the Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt Marquardt and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? Please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. 
Do you long for a church that celebrates the divine service with reverence and joy, but without the unbiblical baggage imposed by a supposedly infallible hierarchy? Do you long for a church that confesses a divinely instituted office of the holy ministry for the giving of the Lord's gifts to his people and yet values and lifts high the priesthood of all believers? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find an historic, authentic church near you on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. Your confessional Lutheran Church is most likely making budget preparations for 2023. You can promote your church and support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. For more information, check out an informational flyer on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor in 2023. We're reviewing the TV series The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power with Pastor Ted Geese. So, Ted, you were talking before the break about that and-then storytelling style of this TV series. That seems really the opposite of the Tolkien source material. Some of those interesting parts of those stories were when the quest was sidetracked or derailed. Yeah. I mean, and and when you read The Lord of the Rings, like one of the first major derailments, and this doesn't even show up in the Peter Jackson films, is when the hobbits are kind of on their own at the very beginning, and they end up with the Barrow Whites and off with uh, all of their little adventure that they have before they even get to the Prancing Pony and you know strider who turns out to be aragorn like they have their own little sidetrack story where they almost die like tom bombadil is there to save them and whatever else but it, it briefly comes up again like the question of tom bombadil at the council of elrond and then that's it but i mean that was not as according to plan that wasn't what they were planning to be doing but it provided a point of interest and also a chance for them as characters to grow even before they get to the characters like Aragorn. So there's some things like that that we're sort of missing in this. And listen, I I know that there's going to be listeners that that watched it and they're going to say, no, 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 this was like that and that was like that and we like this. If you liked this, that's fine. It's okay. Myself personally, by the end of it, I liked it less than when I started. And there were some characters that I found kind of interesting. The character of Elrond actually grew on me over the course of the whole thing. I thought he he was more interesting by the end of it. But a lot of the characters, I I knew that I was supposed to really like the character of Gladril. And I actually I do like that character. I like the character from the Peter Jackson films. I like the character from the actual book. But this Morphid Clark who plays the character, she needed better dialogue, better direction. I don't know. Like she, there were there were moments where she was supposed to be happy. It comes off very weird. Otherwise, she was mostly just blank, just like a kind of a. There was not a lot of uh, I don't know. She's just like every opportunity she kind of ran like just just was not the character that I had loved previously. And I already it was already built in that I would like this character. So that to me was a bit of a a challenge getting through it. So do you have any pastoral concerns regarding what you've seen so far? Well, here we go. So the more thoughts I have about Gladril, being that Gladril is your central character, she basically 
fails upward. This is like a phrase that people are, you know, use more these days. It's like she, she fails at what she's doing, but she still gets like, she still uh, succeeds in the end. Like she uh, spoilers again. And this is not a spoiler for people who read the books and, and everything, but you know, they, at the end of this, like I said, they, they make the three elven, elven rings of power and she's the recipient of one of them but she really doesn't deserve to be the recipient of one of them. I mean, she like, this is kind of strange that she would get this because so many of the things that occur through it are, are terrible. Like there's no consequences to any of her actions. She is kind of a belligerent character. She's, you know, very like unwilling to like listen to other people or other people's concerns or any suggestions they might have. She's very bossy and demanding and maybe this is supposed to show her as being strong and like, you know, determined and things like that. But it comes across as just a whole uh, like pile of like character trait flaws. And she's not uh, virtuous in any way, which you would expect the elves to be more virtuous. And I think as in terms of like a pastoral concern is, you know, like this is not she's she's almost more of an anti-hero than a hero. She's not the kind of person that anybody watching it, like let's say if you're a younger person or anybody at all really, should be looking up to, to as a role model of any sort. And I know that sometimes people want things to be complex and and whatever, but this is the character of Gladrill, right? And I, I realize they don't have a lot to go on. In fact, in the appendices when they talk about her in the second age, all it says is that she was the wife of Celeborn and that she was the greatest of elven women. That's it. So then I guess the question for the writers is what do they think makes a great woman? Because if this is what they think making a great woman is, this is not a great woman. And as a, pastor i'm just saying you know like this is not a great character to be looked up to in any kind of way and you could kind of look at that through the whole thing like what how do they deal with these people and the writers certainly have an idea of what interactions between men and women and what interactions you know what people should be like and you're going to have good guys and bad guys in any of these kinds of shows uh, some of the things that i think people really enjoy about the lord of the rings is just the, you know, the valor of some of the characters and, you know, like how they rise to the occasion and how they, you know, how they face adversity and things like that. And this is not, it doesn't just doesn't have that ethos pathos. It doesn't have, it doesn't have any of that stuff in this, in the same way that it actually exists in Tolkien's writing. So that I think is, and we kind of touched on this in the same sort of way back in our first time around talking about this stuff. But by the end of it, it's proved out. This character of Gladrill fails in every possible way. And yet there seems to be no consequences for any of that failure. And on top of that, she's given one of the rings of power. That doesn't, I don't know. And again, they're going to have more seasons of this. They've already written and shot a bunch of season two. So I don't know what they're going to do in terms of all of that. There has been some discussion about them having to, uh, considering being uh, more cautious of the canon, the material that they're working with. So there may be reshoots and things because this is not the home run that they expected. Um, and they got to know that. And part of it is 
how they wrote and dealt with these characters. And Morphin Clark, for her part, I mean, she's an actress and she's doing what she has in front of her and all the more power to her. I hope she has a chance to make this character more like the character that viewers, you know, remember from the Peter Jackson films. But if this is a character arc, it's a very slow character arc. Um, and they got to do something about making her more virtuous in terms of her character. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He is pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, thanks. Thank you. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for preschool through high school. Learn more at flsplano.org. Fostering a love of learning and independent thinking. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller and Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions. We'll discuss Wokeism 101 with Pastor Peter Burfind, and we'll have Pastor Roger Peters answer the question, what do the scriptures say about eternal life? I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You can help save lives in Southern Illinois by participating in 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. Vigils will be held outside abortion facilities at Granite City, Carbondale, and Fairview Heights, Illinois. For information on Granite City, visit 40daysgc.com. To learn more about Carbondale and Fairview Heights, go to coalitionforlife.com. You can protect mothers and children by joining the worldwide effort of 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. 
We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.